0: What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Comrades Classroom Podcast. On it, we get to sit down with two of our comrades from Neighbor Programs up in Sacramento, and they talk a bit about their own journey of political education, as well as the survival programs they're building. Follow and support their work at Neighbor Programs on Instagram, and they also have a Patreon you can tap in with. To support the podcast and the work that we're doing in the field, share with friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Everything that you do helps us feed people. Free the land, free the people.
1: A brief announcement to make. Jesus was black, Ronald Reagan was the devil, and the government is lying about 9/11. Thank you for your time and good night. No! You're having
0: that dream where you made the white people riot, weren't you?
1: But I was telling the truth! How many times had I told you you better not even dream about telling white folks the truth? You understand me? Shoot. Making white people riot.
0: You better learn how to lie like me. I'm going to find me a white man and lie to him right now. I am the stone that the builder refused. I am the visual, the inspiration that made ladies sing the blues. I'm the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark so that you can know your left from your right. I am the ballad in your box, the bullet in the gun, the inner glow that lets you know to call your brother son. The story that just begun, the promise of what's to come. And I'ma remain a soldier till the war is won just to introduce kind of everybody who in the room right now um i'm i'm dj spelled dj um also go by zay however folks want to address me um and i'm i'm really excited to to be doing our first interview
1: here with y'all uh my name's gabe uh spelled g-a-b-e uh equally excited to be in this room with y'all yeah and then uh, y'all want to introduce yourselves real quick
2: dope i appreciate y'all my name is jordan J-O-R-D-A-N. Um, and I am super grateful to be in this space with you guys, with my comrade Felisa.
3: How day everyone on who see Felisa? Hey, y'all. My name is Felisa, spelled F-E-L-I-S-A. Super, hella excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Hey,
0: of course, of course. I'm um, grateful to y'all are first mm-hmm. guests too. really grateful. Um, so I mean, really, kind of the the goal and the purpose of our like our guest interviews is to really capture y'all's um like journey, right? I, and we always talk about it as a journey, right? our this journey of political consciousness because, a lot of times, right, there's not like an end point. We're not like, we haven't reached the final stage and we're now the most superior, most uh, smart, most wise person, right? Um,
1: Breaking down that vanguardist idea, yeah. right? That political education is an end goal and instead it's a process.
0: So we I mean, we really wanna use like you alls stories, um, y'all like your journey in political consciousness, your journey towards uh, organizing, right, politically in an organization uh, and like making that explicit decision as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we're just really hyped to hopefully use these interviews to educate folks as well. Um, So, I mean, if we could open up, um, Felisa, Jordan, whoever wants to go first, uh, what was a key moment in your life that kind of put you on your journey towards political consciousness as as an individual?
3: Jordan, you should go first.
2: So what is funny is my political comes from my father who, you know, was a new African black man that grew up in San Francisco. And then while he was a college athlete, uh, working the job in college, he got a letter in the mail that said he was drafted to the United States military. And he's forced to leave college and go fight in Vietnam right at 18 years old. And he comes home after serving 13 months. Right. And he's still a black man in America in 1969. Right. And he's recruited into the Panthers. Um, he gets court-martialed for treason and he beats the case. Um, and so that's kind of where my political consciousness comes from. Um, it comes from all of his experiences, all of his readings, all of his experiences. Um, you know, and I'm still actually trying to dig more into his story. Um, and and find out like, you know, a deeper dive into who my dad was um, and, and, you know, the years before me, the years that, you know, kind of made him who he was. Um, And, but that's kind of what brought my political consciousness out. Um, So my dad had me reading Malcolm really early. He had taught me about the 10 point program from the Black Panthers. Um, Like I said, he had been a part of, you know, the party for a while. Um, So that's how I kind of came into it. So I've always kind of known, and had this politic. Obviously, you're always growing and evolving and, and learning more, right? Um, you know, I would say even a few years ago, I wasn't really an abolitionist, right? But I am today, right? So you're always growing and evolving. But um, I think I've, I was really again blessed with the fact that my family was around it and, and I grew up with it.
0: If I can, if I can, real quick. Um, I mean, I just love the, that credit you give, right, to, to your pops um, and other folks. Can You speak t- real quickly to. Um, just the influence that your pops and um, like the elders, like having elders and having that type of influence on you, like how did that also help you in your journey?
2: I think, see, I thought it was natural, right? Like coming from the Bay, um, growing up in the Bay, uh, my family was from, again, from the Mo. And so like, I remember my pops had moved out to Sonoma County um, to lay low. And and like, it all kind of is, again, part of this this question that I have you know and the more about who my pops was and his time in the party and things like that. but um, he moved out to Sonoma County to be like out the way um, but he was really sick so I was always in the city with my family um, while he was like at the hospital and so my aunt was the head chef at PoW's uh, soul food restaurant in in the you know in the hood and so I was like always seeing people, always seeing things. And so uh that idea of like chopping game where OGs is so normal to me. Um whether it's from church, whether you know it's in the hood, whether it's at you know, the store, it's you know, again, and when like my family just knew so many people, um, and again, that community was so tight knit that everyone talked to everyone. So you were always getting, you know, someone, even if they didn't know you, they was gonna tell you, you know, young man, this, this, and this, you need to do this kind of thing. And they would, you know, they were always just giving you game. Um, and so I guess I took it for granted. <laughs> but that's just kind of how um yeah. I grew up. And now I realize like, dang, man, like having those elders, like you said, is such an advantage because mm-hmm. they they impart game on you so much, so frequently. Um, and so I think that's one area of my life that I've been super blessed in to just have so many elders that. Are willing to take that time and, and chop game with me, and I think it's why I, I do what I do today.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, because I mean that—that's knowledge that's invaluable, right? That's that shit that um, that you can't get at school. That shit can't can't it's buy the in a book, list, right? Like yeah, that's yeah. that that's that uh, ancestral well, knowledge, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Exactly. It, it it goes to who we are indigenously, right? Mm-hmm. As Africans, as an African, that's naturally how we learned on the continent, right? Like our elders would talk to us. Like if you go again, you can trace that back from today back to the plantation, right? And from the plantation back to the continent, right? And so the, that, that again shows us that we're African because we all have these same traditions. We all have
0: these same ways of
2: learning, right? And it's through yeah, you, through these I,
0: conversations. Yeah, I seen you tweet about that after uh, sitting in, in uh, Jaleel Muntakim's class, mm-hmm. right? Just like the same like oral tradition that he used to teach folks is super, yeah, I love that. Um, but I definitely want to uh, give Felice a chance to, to introduce themselves and, and give us a little, uh, um, give us a little background into your your journey and, and your political consciousness.
3: Yeah, thank you. My journey is very different than Jordan's. Um, I grew up, mm, I don't even know where to start. Um, but my journey started when I turned 18 and I didn't have to listen to my parents anymore. I grew up, my parents are very colonized. They're indigenous folks, right? And they're so colonized and so assimilated. And I grew up in a house where it's like, you need to accomplish the American dream. You need a white picket fence, you need a poodle, you need some bushes, you need a great job and you need to be Catholic. So I just grew up in this really strict family that had like a plan for me that I didn't want. And I knew I was an American and I didn't want, you know, the American dream. So once I turned 18, I was like, I'm not going to church anymore. They wanted me to go to the army I'm not going to the army. I'm not American. I don't want to be American. Why would I um, dedicate my life to serving America? So I didn't go to the army. I went to college. um, Got into some ethnic study courses. And that's what I got my degree in. So super different than Jordan's. But yeah, I come from an indigenous household and they don't know they're indigenous and are just so far assimilated. And just seeing that, um, made me resist all my life. So yeah, definitely when I turned 18.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I I love to hear that. And I'll, I'll say for myself too, um, like not exactly the same, but like a similar journey too, right. Where, um, it's almost like the, the knowledge that you're, you're like, kind of starving for and the information that you're kind of starving for was always like lacking uh, in my own home. And like you're saying, kind of like in your own, both in like with the religion and that you grew up in and the household you grew up in. Uh, So that's definitely valid. I I appreciate that. Um, Can you speak a little more on um, like what growing up in an Indigenous household and kind of what that means for you politically and understanding yourself, um, and your kind of role in all of this?
3: That's a great question. So I am from Lagoa Sangoni, but it's known as Guam, right? And it's an island in the Pacific, which is U.S. territory, right? And just, it's a complicated relationship with the United States, but basically just another piece to its imperial project, right? Um, And, you know, I tell my family members, like, we're indigenous people. We're not quote-unquote Pacific Islanders, No, we're actual indigenous folks. We know where our ancestors are from. We know where we're supposed to be. You know, we know where we've been for the past 2,000 years. We are indigenous. And when I tell them that, they're like, "Mm, you're crazy. We're Pacific Islanders and we're American. And everybody in my family will say that. Um, So it's hard. I think that's really, it's really hard for me um, to hear that from them. But where where I fit in this, is what I'm learning now. Um, I'm torn between staying here stateside, quote unquote, and going back home. Um, But Guam is such like a strategic piece to the revolution. And I know we'll get into it when we talk about like the Black Liberation Army. But Guam has like America's strongest military base. (laughs) It has the most munition um, on the globe, right? It's a very small island. Um, And it, it, I don't know, I'm optimistic, and it's, it is a really, it sounds and seems really easy to liberate, Um, but it having the strongest military base is something that I'm trying to understand how I fit with that, um, with that being my land, and how that fits in the revolution, if that makes sense.
1: That's, I had no idea about that, Felisa, thank you, I, I was unaware that Guam was the heavily most heavily fortified us imperial base wow yeah i mean i
0: i i appreciate that perspective and Mm -hmm. i mean it's the like you were saying yourself right the uh, trying to really understand and grasp um kind of how how us imperialism kind of impacts us personally um on on a hella personal level right and because most people think it's this abstract thing um, that like we could never do anything about or address or even need to think about because it doesn't affect our day to day, but I think that
1: I mean I think that yeah. offers
0: a different perspective, right? Yeah,
1: this perspective I think of indigeneity too as on an island. Um, yeah, this is this is that's incredibly powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that.
0: I think it's hella real too. I want to acknowledge um, like the reality that um, that a lot of um, indigenous and, and uh, immigrant families face, right when. Um, wanting to, right? Like the global imperialism does such a good job at convincing us that that's our that's the only thing we can mm-hmm. achieve to live a, a safe and healthy and happy life for us and our families. Right,
1: assimilation. Right, Always. assimilation
0: is the only thing we can do. Right, and so it's um right having that grace. I think also for um our our elders and folks mm-hmm. who who have been um, misled in that, but also being also being hyper aware of that too. Right, and be, making sure that um, that our path is is a little different while. Still trying to take, you know, uh, lessons and 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 love alongside that with you know families that we we struggle alongside. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but so I guess another question um, that kind of came up in my in my mind would be for you, Jordan. Um, In talking about we're kind of talking a lot about like lineage and and kind of the impact that our tradition, um, right? Tradition, the impact that our experiences um, with both uh, with our families um, and our indigeneity and our um, are being from the the continent of Africa too, right? Um, and also carrying on the tradition of our elders, right? Like you said, with your, with your pops and, um, the Panthers and the VLA, both y'all men have mentioned it already. Um, and so Jordan first and Felice, I love your opinion on it too. Like, what does it mean to you to, to have to then carry on this torch, um, that has, is kind of been passed, is being passed on to you currently. Um, and then, Jordan specifically, like, what is that? I I know you got, you got kids. And so I know that's in the back of your mind too. Like, what does it mean for you to, to feel that it's your purpose as well, to keep that torch going for your own, uh, your own children? Again,
2: I think that was something that was really instilled in me. Um, And like, even, um, I only have one surviving aunt, um, but like, even when I talk to her, right, she always mentions how I'm like my father. Um, She always, uh, you know, says that, should always drop some, some either, you know, it's about my dad or or something about the family and the tradition of our family, um, going all the way back to like, you know, the folks who resisted enslavement, right? Like, uh, like my, the reason, and again, I think this goes, you know, to our narrative, um, what, like our names, uh, like I always, all of my, you know, my, my, I, bleh. My middle name is my pops you know, first name. And so that happened in my family, right? And like all of my kids are named super intentionally, but like my grandmother came out here because she, you know, fought her first husband, right? Like he tried to hit her and she cut him. And like, it was always something my dad took so much pride in. Like your grandma ain't taking no stuff, right? She always fought and stood up for her, her human rights. And if I say I believe in these things, I have to stand up for it. I have to fight, right? And if I'm not doing that actively, if I'm not actively living out the things that I say, then I'm a fraud, right? That's kind of how my pops really framed it to me and my family really framed it to me. So for me to like, Think, yeah, I want to. I want to look up to these people. I want to say these are my ancestors. I want to say this is what I believe and this is my politic. Then I have to live up to that, or I'm a fraud, <laughs> right? And mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. what I think that's what's hard for a lot of people because the world has so much that it's easy to not right. It's easy to be co opted. Right, it's easy to say, well, I'm still a good guy yeah. if I do this thing just because I oppose this one thing that's evil, but I can let this other thing slide. But if you say you're against it, you gotta be against it all the way, right? Like yeah. um, I'm a huge Nipsey Hustle fan, right? He has a he has a line. He says, you know, I'm gonna draw the line, you pick who you're gonna ride with. And there's certain lines that just get drawn in life. And I think that. That's the way you have to live, right? There's a side, there's a good side and there's a, you know, a wrong side or however you want to frame it, right? Um, Evil versus, you know, not evil, (laughs) however you want to frame it, you know what I mean? But once you decide this is what I say I'm going to believe in and I say it, right? Once I, especially once I say it publicly, oh yeah, you got to stand on that, (laughs) Because if you don't, then who, what, you know, what do you have? Who are you? Who can, how can people trust you? How can people believe in you? Um, and so how can you say that you, you believe in these things? How can you say you believe in liberation and freedom and whatever, whatever words you want to say you believe in, if you're not doing the work that goes with it?
1: Yeah. yeah. All we got is our word, right? Yeah. I it. especially in this work, all we got is our word.
0: Yeah. I think, and I think it's, um, I th- I just think that's a vital vital mm-hmm. point. And I think what I've what I've learned from you and I, um, kind of y'all's programs and, and and both kind of the the folks that y'all look up to as well is um, is also letting the work speak for itself too, right? Like not needing um, to to overcompensate, improve the work that you're doing, but mm-hmm. also just doing mm-hmm. it um, and, and letting the the people uh, and the community um, and and the uh, the harm right that you're addressing um, and the the care that you're providing speak for itself and I think mm-hmm. that's uh, invaluable um, in all of this um but we can I mean we can switch up a little bit um I'll switch up a little what do you, do you want
1: uh yeah maybe um I don't know felisa did you have did you have anything you wanted to say about um what we're just talking about this idea of like lineage and passing on the torch yeah like having the, the purpose in all mm-hmm. of this I guess yeah my my fault
3: No, it's cool. I don't have an answer. I'm really, I was sitting here thinking like, what is the difference between building a sustainable program and a sustainable revolution um, versus passing on the torch? I haven't considered passing on the torch. I don't have kids. Um, But when I, and I told Jordan like every now and then, like, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be here in California because I really want to go back home. So my goal right now is to, that's why we have neighbors in training we were talking about earlier is really get neighbor programs sustainable. Um, so Jordan and I don't always have to be there. We don't always have to be at breakfast program. We don't always have to lead neighbor or we don't always have to lead neighbor school, right? We don't always have to be the ones to publish neighbor newspaper. So really just getting the community to take over these programs is what passing on a torch sounds like to me um, because I for sure won't be in California. In three years from now.
0: Yes, no. That, I mean, that's such a valuable perspective. Mm-hmm, like, because um, I mean, we we talk about this shit all the time. Um, I'm not personally from um, Orange Orange County, um, and all I know is like I wasn't gonna just live here and not be doing work, right? Mm-hmm. And we weren't gonna just live here and not be doing work as a, as a collective. And so, even though not a, a you know a good portion of us. Um, probably don't plan on being here long-term, um, exactly what you're saying, right? Is being able to implement those programs into the community, alongside the community um, and allowing folks from the community and from the collective to step into their own power and be able to run those programs um, horizontally, right? And, and so I, I just love to hear that um, as a, cause I think that's an important part of passing on the torch, right? It's making sure that the, the, the programs that are being built are sustainable and exist like far and the the practice and the theory as well that exists far beyond um, us as individuals, right? It's it's the the movement existing, not not us as individual heroes or whatever within it.
1: Hmm. Well, you just said that that just reminded me to uh, we've been in our in our political head, we've been doing a lot of work <clears throat> looking at the Zapatistas and that's you know like fundamental uh, to the movement being built there. And Chiapas is uh, is this idea of the the army that is is fighting for peace, right? Yeah. Um, this idea that- He's Fighting for no more armies. Yeah, so
0: <laughs> like fighting for right. no more armies. Right. Uh, so, and I mean, the, you
2: know, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say that really reminds me, you know, again of being a, like this quote, uh, I think that Q posted of Chairman Fred, right? And Chairman Fred talks about how he was like, we don't tell, you know, we don't tell, sit around and tell people we're gonna, how many children we're gonna feed. Like we started three breakfast for children programs and then we turned them over to the community. And he's like, we go somewhere else, right? And that, to me, that's again, it would be disrespectful not to carry this on because so many people have shown us the way, right? We we learn through observation and participation, so these people have showed us the way. How do we not continue to do what they've done and show us that this is the right way, right? Because again, it it's not that hard when we think logically when we look at uh, when we look at someone like uh, you know a uh, chairman Fred. Or we look at Obama and we look and say, what did they do for humanity? It's not hard to say which one is the one that we should want to be like. Like one started breakfast programs and one bombs people. Like why are
0: we even gonna ask, bro? <laughs> this
2: shit is cut and dry. <laughs> it's cut and dry, bro. It's, it's it's not a hard question. I'm picking Jeremy Fred.
0: Right? <laughs> Every time.
2: Every time. And so, when we start to look at things like that, um, it, like I got like I said, I think it that line is really clear, and you pick either I'm gonna choose to be on the the side of the people who are gonna fight for the liberation of all folks, right? And again, like it's so funny that you brought up the uh, uh, the uh, Zapatistas because. Like, that, again, like, going back to my pops, like, those were the things I learned about. Like, we would go into yeah. mm-hmm. uh, La Cumbra's on 16th and Valencia in the city, right, in the mission, and he would tell me about, oh, first off, he would tell me the whole story about how the restaurant came to be, right? Mm-hmm. But then he would tell me, like, in the in there, in the murals, he'd be like, okay, so look, this is the revolution in da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? And so my pops was running that game to me, and he was mm-hmm. getting, you know what I'm saying, he got that again from being involved in the Panthers. Mm-hmm. So... My dad is teaching me all of these different liberation struggle movements. You know what I'm saying? So I was just like consistently hearing it. Yeah, Invaluable. And And so, yeah, and I think, like you said, so when I think about passing the torch, it seems like there's such a natural thing to do because, like, how else would you move, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this is the way you got taught. You know, my pops was, I mean, I don't want to do what my dad did to me, but like my pops had me doing hella. hell of essays and book reports in the summer
1: like,
2: <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. but it was terrible yeah. but but I, now it, it gave me so much more game and then like going back to what you said dj like i have kids um this this week on our revolutionary mondays my kids yeah, were I saw published
0: yes yeah, and those. that was hella tight to me, me?
1: <laughs> that's, oh, hey. that's that's i mean that's huge that's crazy yeah. wow that's the one he wrote on huey that was awesome
2: yeah. So my eight year old did that. And then my 12, my, he, well, he about to be 12. He did Fred Hampton. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and then now, cause he's an artist, he's going to do Emery Douglas this next week. So, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like, so it's natural. And then like, I noticed he's starting to come, like when I hold, when we hold meetings, he'll start he's starting to come and just sit next to me and let's listen to it. Mm-hmm. And I, and like, I really just peeped it like the last two times. Like he just like, Hey, can I sit in? And I'm like, Yeah. Because I've been worried, like, damn, he don't never want to tap in with no movies. Like, I'd be like, <laughs> oh, let's read this book. He'd be like, nah, dad, I'm trying to read Harry Potter.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, feel I, that. I, I feel that. That's Pops was <laughs> teaching me. So I'd be trying to do that with him, and he'd be like, hmm. But sitting down and watching me do my thing, like, watching me, like, do my propaganda, oh, yeah, bruh's with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, um, so that's what I'm noticing. That's how he likes to like pip up, pick up and learn from me. So um, right now that's something I'm actually enjoying and, and like, it's kind of dope to me to see him kind of take that. Um, so I'm hoping, like you said, pass him some torch. I hope that like it sparks him to want to do something with like kids his age.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, in, in what you were saying, I'm kind of hearing too, uh, and I've heard y'all both um, and folks from your collective talk about it before, right? Is not just um taking what we learned and implementing it the exact same way right but um implementing it the way we know best implementing mm-hmm. it the way mm-hmm. we know um it will work best for the people we're working with and alongside and, and i also love that about uh, Felisa's point too right because like, you, you have you are working and building on a blueprint right to implement these types of these types of survival programs in a way that best meets the conditions now Right, like not the way that the Panthers, not the exact same way the Panthers were doing it back in the day, right? Right,
1: not 40, but, 50 years ago, right Right, now. it's addressing
0: yeah. the right now. And I think that'll be interesting and I would love to talk to you more about that in, in the future, Felisa, right? When you're in Guam and right addressing, using the same blueprint, but like having it meet the needs and the conditions of the folks in the community there, right? It's, it's, so, it's gonna look different in Sacramento, right? Well, Inherently, so
1: yeah.
0: right? And so, um, I mean, I just love to hear that come out of, of both of what y'all are saying. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: yeah, we're actually working on that now. Like, I had reached out to folks out there in Guam already um, and talking about replicating what we're doing out here and understanding, like, what the needs are out there because it is a little different, but it also is the same. Folks are still in-house. Folks are still unemployed. Folks don't have access to healthcare, right? Folks are getting... Why Why are we have this American education system on an island 3,000 miles away from us? What the heck? So teaching folks the true education out there um, for, for sure, working on that now and do plan on like having something up and moving before the end of the year.
1: Uh, That's so powerful. What you're saying too, Felisa, right? This idea and understanding that um, this, this project that uh, we are fighting against is global um, and it manifests very uniquely in all these places, but the material conditions that it creates uh, those are very similar, no matter mm-hmm. where we go, right? Like, we the understand violence. it's the slow death of our people through the violence of the state, right? Yeah, the violence mm-hmm.
0: is hell similar. Um, so we can, uh, oh, did you have more?
3: No. no,
0: For sure. Uh, we'll switch up just a little bit, um, and either of y'all want to take the first question, um, talk a little bit more, right? So um, I think it was important, right, to get and understand y'all as individuals, mm-hmm. um, but we definitely want to also hear about um, the Neighbor Program, right? And the fact that y'all aren't just, volunteering for somebody every once in a while. You're not just going out to do charity um, and do one-off things that might feed somebody one time, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're doing what, what Pan-Africanism and and folks like Kwame Ture, Mm -hmm. right. Said was necessary. It was like organizing, right. Organizing in a a political organization. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd love to hear um, really kind of about the, the neighbor program, the platform of the neighbor program um, and kind of the way in which you, built it off of the 10 point program, but also developed it into something that um, speaks and meets the conditions of, of the folks in Sacramento. Either of you can take this, this is for anybody.
2: For sure, I can um, start it because, um, you know people like to say I'm the founder or whatever. Um, again, I don't think that this is anything that I've individually done. I think this is like, again, taken from a blueprint, taken from people that have taught me. Um, and this is just like, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But um, I really, it goes back again to like 2014, um, I had like done some work with a different, like I had started a different little organization, which really just a bunch of protests. But I knew that like, if I was protesting, if I was calling for protests that I had to feed people. So it was right around, you know, the holidays. So I did a holiday feed. um, And then a few months later, like we were kind of, you know, Disassembled like a lot of orgs are, right? Like it was hot for <laughs> protest season and then it was done, right? And um, but it kind of kept me on this idea like, okay, like anytime you do work, like you have to feed people. Um, and so when the pandemic hit, um, it was really again observation and through participation. Like I was rocking with you know Delancey and Kelly. And, and Blake and just trying to like drop them a little bread, like every once in a while. Cause again, I'm a, a teacher, right? Like I don't have no money. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well here, I can, you know, spare a little money here or do a little thing here. Um, and I would, you know, whenever I had some extra bread, like I was starting to feed folks out here um, because there was a pandemic and people were hungry. It was sick in the streets out here, um, you know? And so, I like teamed up with, with my best friend one time, um, my barber, and we fed a bunch of people. And I think it was during Ramadan because he's Muslim. And I was like, man, I got to do it like this much, at least every time. right?" Because before, like when it was me, it was like 20 sandwiches, right? 30 sandwiches, 50 sandwiches at the most. Um, and when I had did it with, you know, my partner, it was like 100 sandwiches, 100 something sandwiches. And it was like damn weak. We just fed so many more people and you could just see the difference, right? You could feel the difference. And I was like, man. So I finally put a little feeler out there and, uh, you know, a, a friend jumped and we kind of started just, you know, we called it Sacramento neighbor program and we were just feeding people. Um, because I knew that was the first thing that had to happen. Um, because if someone is hungry, you can't ask them to learn nothing. If someone is hungry, you can't ask them to fight. You can't ask them to get politically educated. You can't ask, you can't ask them to do nothing because they are hungry. And so you feel me, we, we started feeding people. um, And at that point I knew um, the next step in my mind was, we had to get a newspaper, right? We're feeding people. Now we need to give something to the people to learn. Um, and so that's really where Felisa joined, um, which is, it's again, still really early in our development. Um, and man, like Felisa has been, um, like the best thing for our program because she brings so much uh, to the table as far as like handling all of our logistics, handling, um, our creative art, you know, um, keeping my, Crazy ass on schedule, uh, making sure all of our you know our all of our propaganda is you know like perfect. Um, and man, so I'm just I'm really excited that um, our you know paths crossed and we were able to really build this um, team up, right? Because um, like you said, it it allows the community to get involved with um, becoming politically conscious. Right, it allows the community to uh, see again through observation and participation uh, that they can be set free. Right, uh, like Chairman said, uh, socialism is the people's thing. Right, and so they gotta they gotta see it, they gotta do it, uh, and they gotta talk it. So, you know, that's kind of like what what we do, or like why we do it, um, because we gotta just we gotta get free, y'all. <laughs> We gotta
0: get free for real, um, man. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. Uh, I I don't think I've heard the the origin story really, mm-hmm. um, so I appreciate that insight. And I'm kind of wondering, um, just kind of on that that same topic, if uh, Felisa, if you want, obviously you don't have to, um, kind of elaborate a little bit on your experiences within um, the program, um, the uh, organizing within the program, and maybe speak a little bit to the different survival programs y'all are uh, working on right now
3: yeah for sure um i came and joined neighbor program like two months after it had started um but i knew jordan before he had started neighbor program officially um and yeah i he was bringing folks home to bag at his house and i was like yo we're in a pandemic (laughs) y'all come to my house um and I was like super hesitant on coming through. <laughs> um just because my brother was unhoused out here and uh I knew like going out there on the field would be super triggering for me. So he invi- had invited me hella times and I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Um but I invited them over and ever since like <laughs> I just grew in this space. I before I was a neighbor program, I was a part of other organizations really advocating for defunding the police advocating for reform. Like I have a background in policy and I have a background in social work. So I've been doing tons of work like this for a a long time. Um, And the more I got invested in neighbor program and versus the other policy work that I was doing in regards to like telling city council to stop the sweeps, telling city council to stop or to defund the police. Right. Like, the more city council didn't listen and I'm over here like on the field with Jordan actually providing the material and survival needs for the people that I'm advocating for. Like it makes more sense to actually provide the needs for folks instead of asking the government to do it. Um, instead of asking the mayor to do it because they're never going to do it. So instead of wasting that energy um, is, you know, is just pointless. So that's really what got me like, 100% tied in with a program and I had to remove myself from those other spaces where you know, I didn't see any change happening. Um, and yeah, so we have several programs in Jordan. You could pop in too. we have the breakfast program where we feed folks. We have a lot of political education programs. We have neighbor school every Saturday we get together and we're actually talking about, we are on liberators and reading a book together with about 12 other folks um, we have the newspaper, which gets published every three weeks, and just our political education really just exposes America and teaches folks our true history and the true reality of our relationship with um, the settler state, right? Um, and we're looking to open more programs. We're looking to start a grocery program and bring groceries to families. We're looking into um, patrolling a neighbor patrol because the police out here, y'all, all <laughs> Is just awful. Like we have a pig infestation in Sacramento. It's so awful. Every yeah. corner you turn, it's ah, so, a mm-hmm.
1: motherfucker infestation, <laughs>
3: infestation. Everywhere you turn, there's a pig somewhere harassing somebody. We have a political prisoner program. Um, Jordan, I know you want to jump in.
2: Yeah, um, like to that point, like like she said, like the colonial occupation of our black and brown neighborhoods in this Nisanan land is sick. So especially, especially when you had the whole, like there was like a big, you know, the situation with the proud boys. Um, and so like people were, you know, like, you know, other folks were calling folks to come out. Right. Um, and it was really, it was crazy. If people would study and this is why I'm on a tangent, but this is why like our whole logo is a bunch of books. Right. Because it's all rooted in theory and it's all rooted in past things, right? Like if people would really study Chairman Fred instead of watching Judas and the Black Messiah and thinking that's the whole history of who Fred Hampton was, they would know that like in Chicago, there was these white anarchists who were like calling to go fight the cops. Similarly, as there was like white anarchists calling and a few black anarchists, (laughs) right? Calling to go fight the Proud Boys and the police. And Fred said, yo, that's political, like, that's, like, you're politically immature, right? And so in this time frame, we're telling people, listen, stop doing that because it's bringing out more cops, actually, and then after all the things, after everyone goes home from the Capitol, those, you know I mean, those pigs, they go into these black and brown communities, you feel me? And then they harass us. So, I mean, it was, like, a month or two ago and I get stuck in this parking lot for an hour and a half because I stopped because the, the pigs is searching. They they going through this, this brother car. Right. Uh, because he had been pulled over in like a, you know, a no parking red curb while his girl had ran in the liquor store. Right. And then, and they're searching his car <laughs> with no warrant. Right. Um, and then as soon as I try to get away from, like, I, I finally get, you know, get that situation handled. Like I get you know other people are watching. Uh, and that brother, finally him and his, his lady get to drive away. You feel me? I hear, get your hands out the window. And there's four, you know what I mean? ARs pointed at these three Africans in this car. Two of the kids is under, under 18. You feel me? The other kid, uh, I think the other, you know, brother was like, you know, uh, late twenties, early thirties or something. um, and they searched the car up and down, swear up and down, and you know what I'm saying? Again, they got AR, they got they got weapons of mass destruction yeah. on these young men. These are genocidal weapons.
1: Mm-hmm. They come on, it. oh, there's a gun in
2: the car. They didn't find no gun, they didn't find no piece of weed, they didn't find nothing, right? That's genocide. That That's colonial occupation of our neighborhoods.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, that's a state terror.
3: And as what? We see that's those the biggest problems, test. yeah. As we see those you problems, what that's what determines our our programs, right, Claudine.
2: So, you know, and, and like, so in that situation, right, um, they repoed his car, right, and so like he's gonna have to go to court. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like, so again, that's like another program we're trying to work on um, is we're trying to work on connecting with um, any attorneys who would you know be down to be representing the people, right? Again, you know, like we know. The Panthers uh, in Chicago. Right. Chairman Fred was able to work and get, uh, you know, the people's law office. So, you know, we're trying to figure out ways to do things like that. Um, Like Felicia said, we got the grocery program we're trying to get together. Um, But a lot of our stuff is, again, political education or has some political education weaved in because we're trying to show people like these. These are we built. You know, again, we're abolitionists, but what does that really mean? People always say, "Well, what is? It, what would happen if y'all win?" Shit, we have structures right here. We have programs right here that shows you this is how we educate people, right? This is how we feed people. <laughs> this is how you feel me, and so that's why everything that we say we believe in, um, everything in the ten-point program and platform that we again agree on, um, with the Panthers, we try to have a program for, um, and so that I guess hopefully that kind of goes back to your question, right? Like what, why, why do we have these programs? What are they for? Um, but it's, it's all rooted in what we believe. Um, and things like that. It's just trying to, again, find out what the people need and find out what we, you know, how we can, how we can have, have that happen because we believe that the people should be free. We believe they should have jobs. We believe, you know what I'm saying? They shouldn't be, getting robbed by capitalists. We believe they should have housing. We believe, you know what I'm saying, education. Mm -hmm. We believe in those things, so we gotta build those things. Because again, like it goes back to, if I say I believe in these things, how am I not working for that? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. How are you working to build that dual power, right? Exactly. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective a lot. Mm And
0: man, Felicia, your point too, right? Is that it's like, it, it, it took, being in the field, being in the community, right? Understanding the exact uh, violence um, and needs, um, violence experience and the needs that need to be met, right? Um, And so I I just love both of y'all's outlook on that and and analysis,
1: Um, right? Like working to be the people organized, mm -hmm. um, breaking down that vanguardist attitude, which is the death of of all laboratory movements.
0: so moving on just uh, I mean, not really moving on, but um can you guys speak a little bit like directly to um, either like you talked about the Black Panther Party, Black Liberation Army, either one um, but like what what did it what did it mean for them and what does it mean for y'all uh, for them to have named socialism and communism right as the the political constructs and foundations um, that they believed would um, bring our people towards? Um, liberation in, in a democratic way, right, in an in, in intercommunal way with agency and self-determination and yada, yada, yada. Um, so I guess what, do, what what does that mean to y'all when you hear that, right, the politic of socialism, the politic of communism, and we talk about it in relationship to it, the Black Panther Party or the Black Liberation Army?
2: Um, well, for me, uh, again, uh, my background for like school was political science. So I studied um, I studied all of these different systems and again, I, I grew up studying uh, like this theory as well, um, understanding that I was African, understanding like real oppression, um, understanding my true identity, my true culture. and I think that's helped me um, because when you know those things, you know that indigenously, uh, like on the continent there like this was a thing, right? Um for me again, I um, you know, some of some of a lot of my politics again comes from my faith, my belief, right? Um and when I study who, you know, my religion, which is Christianity, um I find that Jesus's practices were socialist at moderate, right? And communist at best, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like um and again I can trace these things of that people who who I say that I think are great people, or that I look up to, or think that they tried to do the right thing, and say, look what they did. Look at their actions. Look at their words. Um, and I can do that from Asada to Marcus Garvey, or to, you know Malcolm to Harriet Tubman to again all the way to the continent right, with Steven Biko, right? Again, another thing that my pops put me on, like Steven Biko. Yeah, yeah, I was just reading
0: right,
2: this like, shit. man, like, Steven Biko blew my mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and you know what I mean? Because, and that was the thing, my pops always tried to hit me on the game that was a little less known, right? Like, everybody knows Mandela,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but everybody doesn't know Steven Biko. Nobody does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You feel me? Uh like my pops put me on Megger Ever's hella early.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You feel me? Um, again, I was a huge Malcolm fan. My dad used to call me the militant midget. Um
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 like <laughs>
2: bro, it was sick. But but you feel me, so it I, I always I always was connected with that. Um so it makes sense to me. And again, I, I studied political science and was, and had planned to like try to be a lawyer so that I could utilize their systems against them. Right. But also saw like, yo, you have to sell out. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I remember like my dad used to really, like my dad, he, this was like one of his favorite sayings to me. He would be like, we don't need any more, uh, we say we don't need any more magics or Michaels we need more Malcolms Martins and Thurgood's and I used to be like oh yeah Thurgood Marshall and I used to like Howard was my dream school because it was like you know again I was little so I still wasn't calling him Kwame Trey I was calling him Stokely Carmichael but it was like Stokely Carmichael went there you know Thurgood Marshall went there and then I'm getting older and I'm reading I'm like hold on Thurgood Marshall was a sellout like no <laughs> you know what I mean I'm over here get my little my little black. I'm gonna get my black excellent heartbroken. You know what I'm saying? Like man. that Jay-Z <laughs> Rockefeller uh brunch, man. rock brunch, man. that used to be my goals until I realized like, yo, actually all of them cats are evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but like you know, and it was like those things like that. Again, I voted for I voted for Barack. You feel me? Like, man, okay, oh, well, let me let me let us get one. You feel me? Let us get one and he gon' he gonna he gonna do it. He gonna do us right. Obama. He gonna get in, He gonna get in there and show him. Look, I was like, he gonna get in there and show him what's up. He sure did. He he got in there and showed us what was up that he hated <laughs> us. That his black ass hated us.
0: Man, he looked us in the eyes today and told us it too. What? He's, he did that fake when hey
2: when he did the drink when he did that little fake ass sip of water, water
0: Flint, when he drank oh when he man. did that
2: hey when he did that I was, like, oh. I was like oh I was like oh I was like I like I really felt like Kanye I was like oh this nigga hates black people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> insert insert president <laughs> into Kanye quote here.
2: <laughs> I was like whoa like I mean, you really man. don't care. Like, not even a little bit, bro. At all, bro. Like, you
0: don't even, you know what I mean? Like- I mean, shit, he <laughs> can, he, can, he played a role in getting millions, hundreds of thousands of black folks to put their Entire political faith into fucking Joe Biden and the cop yes. Kamala Harris, right? The same motherfuckers who, within ten days of becoming uh, leaders of the empire, just started dropping bombs on the continent as well, right? Like, they, right? He, their colors have been, the only, been shown, bruh.
2: Right. This this dude, LeBron called this dude and said, <laughs> "Hey, hey, bruh, what do you think we should do?" And he's like, "Oh, huh, NBA players, right? <laughs> no." <laughs> Drone <Drum> strikes? Yes. <laughs> what? Like he it. really, he really hates us, bro. I can't stand <laughs> you. Trayvon. 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 He would look like my son if I had a son. Oh, he and hey, and black people ate that up and was like, "Man, he up. here for us. He here for us." What? Man, shit. Oh, man, I got um, I got into I got into a discussion with a cat today about it and and people are so like they really drank the juice on this man. Like he can do no wrong.
0: And on and it's that, even
2: worse and it's even worse now with Kamala. Yeah. It's even worse with the squad. Yep.
0: Yeah. So I mean, hey, so while we're on it, like that was I mean, that was one of the the shit we wanted to get to is like like let's talk about neocolonialism neocolonialism, right? Let's talk about neo imperialism. I remember the class that you and Felisa led um in neighbor school, right, where y'all broke that down. So um Felisa, if you can, um, or either of you, um, if you want to speak to um like right, that kind of that class session that y'all had and really the, this analysis of neo-colonialism, neo-imperialism mm-hmm. um, that folks like Julia mutukim offer us on, I know Jordan, I know you've written on um, neoliberal agents, the misinformation class, um, but Felisa or, I mean, either of you, if you want to speak on that, I think that's an important topic to cover. Man, I don't
3: have much other than like your, I think Fred Hampton said this, you're either a neocolonial agent or you're a revolutionary, right? Mm -hmm. And last class, with Joel's class, like he had pointed out the illusion of inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's hella different for me because I I don't, I mean, coming from an island so far away, I don't really see a lot of representation and don't want representation. Actually, Mm -hmm. like I used to want to be like mayor. I used to want to be president. I used to want to be congressperson. um, but and that's that illusion of inclusion. Um and I also went to Howard. And when I say all oh, my cohort is so stoked that Katmula is vice president, no. it's so frustrating. And my mom is like, Oh, it's so great. You went to Howard, she went to Howard, I'm like, No, she's awful. Um, but my mom no. thinks it's the best thing ever. Um but Jordan writes about this. He wrote like three, four essays on this. So I for sure want to hear him talk about new colonial agents. Yeah.
2: The black elite won't save us.
3: <laughs>
2: Maybe. I, I think, um, and I think, and for me at this point, um, it's a Malcolm quote, and I. But Jaleel includes it in his book, and he made sure to include it in his class. Mm-hmm. Last week was um, Malcolm says like, I'm black. My agenda is black. My priorities are black, right? Like we have to get, um, we have to get us together, right? And and Kwame Ture says, we have to build an undying love for our people or we will perish.
0: Um, Yeah, Malcolm Malcolm bullied that nigga Sam Cooke into seeking slave
1: hymns. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: I know that that <laughs> when Delincy tweeted that, I
2: lost
1: man. It. I, I
0: saw that tweet. That shit had me rolling, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, this now, now,
2: now this is what I, this is what I need y'all to realize. I've known Delincy since he was a freshman in college. Oh, you know,
1: don't
0: if if anyone don't know Delincy, Delincy and Blake are uh, two of the co-founders of uh, people's programs in uh, Oakland and the host of the Hello Black Podcast and host of the Hello Black Podcast Shout shop
2: So listen. Rolla has been funny his whole entire life, bro. <laughs> as long as I've known Rola, him and Kels are so funny, bro. I seen Kels so, Instagram. Shit had me rolling. Oh my goodness, um, we gotta we gotta do a day when we're all together and we all do a big distro or something, bro. Oh yeah, man, it'll be, it'll be so man. much love. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um.
0: I didn't mean but, to put off on your the, the Nah, it's good.
2: <laughs> yeah, but nah, it's good. But yeah, so um I've been I really been on some like I need to wake up the colonized people. Uh and Jaleel says it too, like white supremacy is a white people problem. As long, Until you bring it over here, right? Like, but like you y'all have a psychological issue that y'all gotta deal with on your own time. Y'all need y'all got all the resources, handle it yourself. Yeah, we we going to work on ourselves. We, black power is self-determination. It's a self, Malcolm said it's a self-help politic, right? It's a self-help program. Mm. We're going to do for the people. Mm. So the people know, right? we going to do it. We're not, we not waiting on the oppressor. We don't need to ask them nothing. Because the oppressor ain't going to give us nothing. So get up out of here. We'll handle us, right? So I need to wake up the people who still think that it's good to be Obama. I still need to wake up the people who think it's good to be kind I need to wake them folks up.
0: Yeah.
2: Right? Um, And Jaleel talks about it. He says that we need to co-opt the civil rights movement and make it a human rights movement. Because that's what these are. These are human rights violations. Mm -hmm. Even according to the UN, who ain't no radical ass... (laughs) Right? No radical -ass ass... Uh, Organization, they said that people supposed to have housing, and people supposed to eat, and people not supposed to be genocided. That's what they say. So if that's what they say, well then, damn it, that should be what it is. I
0: respect that. I don't know. That that. makes a lot of logical sense to me. No, I'm saying. And so I I think one thing too, though. Like on that on that note, like. For, for me too is looking back um reading more like indigenous literature um and, and indigenous mm-hmm. like liberation theory and indigenous right like yeah that was that that's what that that was always the case right like before the UN was even fucking a conception right I think a lot of indigenous communities like that was their that was their politics that was the policy right we we build what we have is for everybody mm-hmm. right everybody. well and you know what's
2: crazy is they didn't even I know that they said uh I forgot who it was, but they were studying, right? And they had went to the continent and on Turtle Island. They said, they had asked them like, where are your prisoners? Yeah. And they were like, what do you mean? Like, we don't have those, what right? Abolition is, abolition is indigenous to us, to as Africans can. and black and brown indigenous people. There he is. A- abolition is indigenous to us because we naturally restore things. That's why we had a natural yeah. relationship with the earth, right? No matter what. Again, and that's why I think it's crazy, no matter what religion or spirituality, black and brown people practice, they're all connected to the earth. Every, every one of us is somehow in, connected to the earth. But when these Europeans came around, starting colonizing stuff, what started happening to the earth?
0: Yep. Yep. Right. I think Gabe talks about, it. You, um, I don't know what you said you were watching, but you're talking about how when indigenous folks, every time they went out into the forest... They didn't, they left a gift. Even if they didn't take something, they mm-hmm. always left a gift, mm-hmm. yeah. right? For, for the forest, for the earth, right? Because the way capitalism works, right? We know that it will always, always, always extract more than the, the, the earth itself can replenish, right? So, and indigenous communities knew that. So, they brought gifts every time they took something. And even if they didn't take something, they made sure to replenish it even more, right? So that it could always have its needs and always be, you know, meeting that. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, culture, we have to pray, and our in our indigenous language, um, for permission to even enter the jungle. So mm. yeah, for sure. Um, but I for sure want to answer a question on dismantling like neocolonial agents, because that's something we have in South in sect too. Um, we have a lot of folks leading spaces um, who stay there for liberation, but are neocolonial agents. And I don't have an answer to you completely, but what from what I read is like? out the contradictions and not so much cancel culture saying like hey this person's a new colonial agent but pointing out the contradictions between their words and their actions like pointing out the contradictions with the black celebrity thing like yeah you're being super perform- performative with your jerseys but how much are you actually like Where are your actions and what are you actually doing um for the liberation and are you willing to sacrifice your wealth for liberation right so that's what i see a lot um when I'm reading Jalil, when I'm reading Huey, when I'm reading Mao, is pointing out these contradictions. Um, so just figuring out what those are between the press masses and the elite, the oppressed masses and um, the black celebrity, the press masses and you know Congress and just pointing out the contradic- contradictions um, between words and actions for show.
1: Um, you know, one thing that we've been uh, studying a lot in our in our political education spaces has been uh, the disability justice framework, and I know uh, DJ and Sham came up and did a little presentation uh, with y'all. Um, one thing that this always makes me think about too is like when we start discussing uh, uh, misleadership, and and as a Jew, this this is uh, very prominent in the Jewish community as well, um, directing efforts towards the Zionist project. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, directing Mm -hmm. Jews to see their, their, their liberation, you know, and their identity as represented through the Zionist project, which we understand is inherently anti-Black and anti-Indigenous. And so uh, starting to see that the, the things that we are being told um, are are purely extractive. Um, They're purely representational. Uh, And so I was wondering if, if either of you can speak to the process, I think of, like maybe giving yourselves uh grace to to go through this moment and uh like maybe how you how y'all position yourselves in um, understanding where where we're all at
2: I'm going to give that to you first Phil.
3: I have no idea how to answer that I'm passing it back to you you go
2: <laughs> Can you give me the question like maybe synthesize it one more time
1: of course yeah let me clarify that um talking about uh understanding uh the the way in which liberation is sold to us as a extractive process uh where we where we pour all of ourselves into something um and our humanities uh sorry I about think, that oh. go ahead.
2: so kind of like like keeping our, like our self, our self help? Or are you talking about the way that it's like framed back to us, like as far as propaganda?
3: I think I could, I think I, I understand. Okay, um, take it. Yeah. So when, when you are soul liberation, you just, like what you just said, that you have to pour yourself into this. And I think right now, especially with Neighbor Program, before we even talk about liberation and we learned this from Jalil's, you know, you got to learn yourself, got to learn who you are. Um, because you're not going to have, you're not going to know what your political motivations are. You're not going to know what your, what the outcomes you want in regards to the revolution until you know who you are. Um, because if you don't know who you truly are, right, then you're going to want integration essentially. Um, and i think in this moment in time you know especially the folks that we know um everyone's really just trying to learn <laughs> and read um before we even like really get get this liberation running does that make sense
0: no
1: that does yeah yeah thank you for clarifying that i know that, that was kind of a a run on question i apologize
2: it's all good and yeah i think Um, to really go to the text, actually. (laughs) Sorry, I love, Mm -hmm. I love like when we can reference, um, like again, people's words, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so on page 163, if anybody is reading, we are our own liberators. Um, It says the first year programs of a revolutionary cadre organization to center chiefly around the following. And then it lists, uh, you know, five points right and i always think that language matters and like the way that you number things or list things matters right i think the first thing that usually is listed is the most important or like the strongest and so a is a theoretical strengthening of the members and it says in quote uh, in parentheses political education <laughs> right so that's like number 1 the yeah. first thing like that you're supposed to be doing is mm-hmm. becoming politically educated the number one thing that means you always gotta be learning. Um, you always gotta be reading, you know what I'm saying? You always gotta be watching and studying something and studying something real, right? And then it says B the development of literature, of the National Liberation Front and the skills of the membership to enable them to take the ideas to the masses, right? Propaganda. And so again, that's why I, like we have the you know the newspaper and things like that, but um it really comes from this idea that like. These are just the steps you have to take. One is you have to learn. And as you learn, you have to share it with others.
0: No, I appreciate that perspective, Hella. And just uh, this is kind of a final question to wrap things up a little bit. Um, And I mean, it comes from, uh, straight from what you were just quoting. So I mean, I think it transitions perfectly and either of you can pick up the question. it's really, again, I know you're both taking uh, Jaleel's class right now. Uh, I am too. and The shit is incredible. Um, and right, he's teaching on his own book, We Are Our Own Liberators. And one thing he talks about a lot, right, is, uh, talks about in the book and in the class session we had last week, um, is focusing on, is what is our liberation work focusing on, right? Are we focusing on what we're going to build, what we are building, or are we focusing all our energy on what we're destroying? Are we focusing all our energy on white supremacy? Um, and so I know y'all spoken to it already a little bit. Um, but just kind of, as we end here, um, uh, today, like, what is that, what does that really mean for y'all? Like what, what are we building and what does it mean for you to focus on that? Um, and not focus all your energy, for example, on what we're destroying.
3: Yeah. Programs for de- decolonization is what Jullo calls it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jordan said it earlier, like if we did rip- If we did win the revolution, when we do, not if we did, when we do win the revolution, who's gonna feed us? Who's gonna house us? Who's gonna clothe us, right? Um, Who's gonna you know, help the community overcome harm if we no longer have the prison and police, right? Mm -hmm. So we're building these programs for, that's what we're doing right now. We're building as opposed to destroying. Um, And at the same time, building is destroying because we're no longer relying on them and no longer need them and that is destroying them that itself but yeah building these programs so we don't have to rely on the settler state and could rely on ourselves
2: i know some of y'all here today because y'all think jail is cool but see y'all wouldn't know nothing about that hey cool about jail no cool i've been about. here 10 years and i ain't never getting out never i ain't do much just kill somebody That's it ain't all. like the nigger ain't have a coming he sure did so y'all think it's just about us in here but this is about an hey. oppressive hey. system yeah. designed to keep niggas down and <laughs> Y'all wouldn't know nothing about that. What about you, little nigga? You know about that? Yes. Oh, you know about that? Tell me
0: what you know about that. Tell me what you think about that. The prison industrial complex is a system
2: situated at the intersection of government and private interests. It uses prisons as a solution to social, political, and economic problems. It includes human rights violations, the death penalty,
1: slave labor, policing, courts, the media, political prisoners, and the elimination of dissent.
2: Nigga! Did you just say what I was trying to say? But smarter...